Hello everybody, my name is Ben Schluter and welcome to episode 19 of Gold to Go. Um, last night we did a stream, went over two hours long, that was fun. I mean, I'm not being facetious, it actually was fun. What wasn't fun was what happened this morning when a picture that I had hanging on my wall fell down for no reason. Great job. Let's get into some things, though. Uh, we got a lot to talk about, because two hours was... So long, I still had to cut things from it. But luckily, I'm not live, so I can say a bit more without having to worry about a, ch a chat. And we begin with some Saints news. Uh, the Saints uh, made a one major move. Uh, first of all, the Saints had former fullback uh, Michael Burton. He signed with the Chiefs for a year, a uh, one-year deal, um, which explains why we signed Alex Arma, I guess, because like we just weren't going to keep around Burton. Saints also made a move. They signed former Chiefs defensive end Tano Passigno. Excuse, I'm going to say, it's Tano Passigno. I made sure to look him up before this because it would be kind of dumb if I didn't. Yeah. So, signed him to a two-year, $4.5 million contract. Two, uh, $2 million of that's guaranteed. It's got a max value of $5.25 million, and it has three void years on the contract. Uh, just to help spread out some money. Now, La he's been pretty decent. He was a second-round pick in 2017 out of Villanova. Yes, Villanova has a football program, just in case you would, like weren't aware. They do, in fact, have football. It's just FCS. Um, yeah, he was pretty okay last year. He had, uh, let me see what his official stat line was in 20... 20 found his thing in uh 2020 he had 28 combined tackles 20 solo he had uh two tackles for loss four qb hits he had one sack that was in the regular season he also happened to get a sack in the playoffs uh, in the afc championship to be more specific um this is a Signing that doesn't scream, oh, he's going to be a starter, obviously. It's the fact that the Saints need to, you know, get some depth going in defensive end. Because, you know, we kind of lost some guys that way. We lost, like, I think it was four guys on the defensive line. Because it was Trey Hendrickson. It was Malcolm Brown. It was other guy whose name I can't remember. Uh, Roach, I think, he got signed. So it's like three guys. And granted, like, a couple of them have had injury problems, but still, you want to have some reassurance on that line. So, signing this guy is definitely going to help there. Uh, hopefully, he can, like, produce maybe a little more than that, but it just depends on how he works into the rotation. So, yeah. Saints didn't really do that much over the week. Um, yeah. Now, last time I did a podcast, I uploaded it early. And I recorded it early. I'm also recording this one early. It's 11.32 currently. I make note of when I record it because only a few minutes after it went live, at noon, my time, uh, just, you know, casually comes out. There's a huge trade. So that was fun to have to sit on for a week. Yeah, so about noon, Friday, Dolphins traded the number three overall pick to the 49ers in exchange for the number 12 overall pick 
a 2022 third round pick. It was originally reported that was a 2021 first round uh, third round pick, but it's actually 2022, and it's the compensatory pick that the Niners got because Rob Sala got hired as the head coach of the New York Jets. Um, they also got first round picks in 2022 and 2023. So yeah. Dolphins really cashed in there, and the 49ers wanted up for some reason. Then, 30 minutes later, another trade gets announced. The Eagles have decided to make some moves, and they've made that move with the Dolphins. Man, imagine if I was live. That would have been hilarious. But, yeah, the Eagles traded the number 6 overall pick and the number 156 overall pick, which is like, I think it's a 4th or a 5th rounder. Um... Or maybe very, very late third. I don't exactly remember. And I'm not looking that up right now because it doesn't matter because it's not a big-time deal. Um, They traded those picks to the Dolphins. They got, in exchange, the Eagles get the number 12 overall pick, number 123 overall pick, both of those are in this year's draft, and Miami's 2022 first-round pick. It wasn't originally stated uh, anywhere which first-round pick from 2022 the Eagles got because it could have been San Francisco's since the Dolphins had that. But no, they decided to hold on to San Francisco's and give up their own, which I think makes a bit of sense. So, in the end, what everyone gets is that San Fran gets the number 3 overall pick, uh, Philadelphia gets the number 12 overall pick, they also get the number 123 overall pick, and Miami's first round pick in 2022. And then Miami gets the number 6 overall pick, the number 156 overall pick, a third round pick in 2022, which is the comp pick from San Francisco, and a first round pick in a first round pick in 2023, and I forgot to put this. I mean, it really doesn't matter. Uh, it's a first round pick in 2022 and 2023 from the 49ers as well. Uh, so in the end. It's kind of an interesting deal. Now, it especially becomes more interesting when, afterward, it came out that the Eagles had been looking to move up from the sixth spot. They were looking to move into that three spot with the Dolphins, but they wanted confirmation they could get Zach Wilson. They couldn't get that confirmation. What that screams to me, and to most people, is that the Jets are going to draft him. The Jets... The Jets are pretty much set on Zach Wilson at this point. His pro day looked incredible. It was so good. The receiver he was working out with, who happened to be an undrafted free agent, uh, he had graduated from BYU following the 2019 season, uh, didn't get drafted, never really got picked up. After that session, the Panthers brought him in. They signed him, which is insane. So it looks like we know what the top two is going to be. It's going to be uh, first overall pick is going to be Trevor Lawrence. Then it's going to be Zach Wilson. Then the draft really starts. So I'm trying to think here too because if Philly just stays at the uh, spot where they were, which was number six, Philly can get a top-tier wide receiver. Philly needed wide receivers. I guess either... They think they can get one at the 12 that'll still be pretty good. Or, and this is my other thought, they're trying to build up draft capital for 2022. Because, like, I'm actually, no. First of all, I am kind of shocked that they were looking at Zach Wilson and they were looking to get a quarterback. 
because I thought maybe, just maybe, I don't know, you were going to use Jalen Hurts? I, I thought that was going to be your starter next. I thought he was going to be your starter next year. Genuinely thought that that was going to be the plan moving forward. Now that you don't have Carson Wentz, you're going to start with Jalen Hurts. But no, you wanted to have another guy? Just a year later? That doesn't make any sense to me. Just, I don't know. The Eagles are a weird franchise that don't make sense right now and are really stupid. But they've really built up their draft capital for 2022. They now have two first-round picks with the potential for a third. Because if you remember, in that Carson Wentz trade, they got a conditional second-round pick that becomes a first-rounder on... There are two ways it it can become a first-rounder. It either... Carson Wentz starts 75% of the snaps on offense for the Colts, or he starts 70% of the snaps, and the Colts make the playoffs. Those are the two conditions in which that second rounder becomes a first rounder. Um, So they could potentially have three first round picks in 2022, which is not bad at all. I mean, you just have to hit on them, which doesn't always happen. Meanwhile, Miami decided to uh, get everything. They didn't need to be at the number three spot at all. Um, they're now at the six. They they moved back to the 12, but then they probably knew they could trade up anyway. Uh, so they get back to the six, which means they can still hit on whatever wide receiver is going to be available for them. Probably going to be uh, Devontae Smith, if the rumors are true out of Cincinnati. And I'll talk about that in a couple seconds. But, yeah... And with San Francisco, you still have Jimmy Garoppolo. And the 49ers have not... they No, they've come out and said this, excuse me, that, no, we're not trading him. Not this year. We want to have him around. We still think that he can be, like, a potential starter. What it's looking like is that they're going to draft a guy to potentially be his backup, stay there for a year, and then maybe ship off Jimmy G? Or have him there just in case Jimmy G gets injured again? Because 49ers had basically an entire ER room for their football team last year. 49ers are still a good football team. They were just injured to hell and back. It happens to teams, and that's what happened to the 49ers. We'll see where they are next year, and this will help them. But now the question comes down to, who will it be at number three? It's going to be a QB. Um, And, well, the 49ers haven't exactly been quiet about who they might be picking because they chose to go to Alabama's pro day instead of Ohio State's. Oh, that means they're going to draft Mac Jones. Kind of. The thing is, they also mentioned that they had a separate workout time scheduled with Justin Fields. So they knew they could, um, they didn't have to worry about going to see him only at the pro day. They could do that at a later time. So why would you go to the one that you don't need to? Because then it was just kind of a choice between going to... I think North Dakota State's Pro Day was the same day as Alabama's. And so they went to Alabama's. So it looks like it's a 50-50 between Mac Jones and Justin Fields. And for me, I mean, I think Mac Jones would fit the Shanahan system a bit more than Justin Fields. Because you're looking for more of a pure pocket passer than you are with what you get out of the skill set of a Justin Fields. Because Justin Fields can be... a Like, he can stay in the pocket, but he's also very good with his legs. And his mobility is something that you can use as a weapon. And that's something that I don't think Shanahan wants. Because, like, 
part of the reason why Kaepernick didn't stay with the 49ers when Shanahan came in was that they had a meeting. Because if you didn't know, uh, Kaepernick had a year left on his deal. I think it was an option in there. But he asked to be released after meeting with Shanahan. And Shanahan told him, look, like the way my offense is structured, you're not going to really have a place in it. Your skill set is not how I build my offense. Cause, and that's not a bad thing. Some QBs just aren't right for certain offenses. I mean, you saw what Kyle Shanahan's offense looked like prior to coming to San Francisco. He's working with Matt Ryan, who isn't exactly known for his mobility. I mean, despite the fact that, for some reason, the Saints always managed to give him wide-open holes to run for first downs, I'm still pissed off about the 2019 game at home. Yeah, still pissed off about that. So yeah, I think that's where Mac Jones goes. Here's the problem. Mac Jones is not that good. I don't get where this first-round grade is coming for on him. He's A.J. McCarron with a little bit better skill set. That's what he is to me. I don't see something that special there. I think that you're just completely forgetting his wide receivers around him. Okay, Tua was actually a damn good quarterback. You saw that. You didn't need to notice his receivers. Jalen Hurts was a damn good quarterback. He went to Oklahoma. He did have good receivers around him, but you still saw he was a good quarterback. But A.J. McCarron fits that typical Alabama quarterback mold of, yeah, he looks good out there, but the receivers and the other talent around him can mask the flaws. Because when you're throwing to Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell, it's a bit easier than you think when they both can get wide open. No reason for him to be this highly graded except for the fact that, you know, he looked like he's got the this and the that and the other thing. I don't see it. I just don't see it. Would I like to be proven wrong? Potentially. It all depends on where he goes, because I don't want him destroying the Saints. But, yeah, I just, mm, I think Justin Fields is good. I think he's pretty good. I think Zach Wilson might be better. Just looking at the Pro Day stuff, I'm like, oh. Oh, you rolled to your left and just chucked it. Okay. Okay, then. Maybe you've got it. But I am constantly wrong about everything. So, yeah. Then you've got quick little bit of news. The Raiders signed uh, Willie Sneed to a one-year deal. I only mention this because he used to play for the Saints. This is literally the only reason I noticed it. Yeah. And then, the NFL. Oh, you know what? Let's let's just get into this before I talk about the 17-game season about the Spanoses. Apparently, the Spanos family is a bit of a mess right now. So, I don't know how to pronounce her name. Her name is D-E-A. Is it Dia? Is it D? The world may never know unless I listen to something, but I haven't. I've only read it. Uh, she is the sister of current owner Dean Spanos. And, um, basically, she's, like, gone to court over the fact that, like, they don't have money. They have mounting debts. They keep losing money. They can't, uh, would be really nice if the engines out there weren't that loud. But whatever. Yeah. Apparently they don't have the money and they need to sell controlling interest in the team. It's pretty messy. I don't really know what to talk about with it, but it's it's going to be interesting to see when more information comes out. Uh, Jeff Bezos is apparently interested in buying if they have to sell. So, that who knows what will happen 
it will be a nice, intriguing thing to see. Well, not nice. Nothing like this ever plays out nicely in the court of law. But now, we go on to the NFL decided to adopt the 17-game season. Yes, it's official. For the first time since 1946, the NFL will have a prime number of regular season games. 1946, the NFL played 11 regular season games. Now they're playing 17. Yay, I did it. I did the weird thing. So, I don't like it. But I've already said this multiple times, but I don't think I've said it on here as to why I don't like it. So, number one. It's too many games. Now, we could have made that argument back when there were 14 games and expanded to 16. So, maybe it's not that great. But they, And they also didn't give teams a bye week then. However, this was also back during the times when they didn't know, like, anything. And they were dumb. So, like, I don't know. Uh, they didn't give an extra bye week. And in my opinion, they needed to. If you're going to do a 16-game season, one bye is okay. In 93, the NFL experimented by giving teams two byes. Yeah, that was kind of weird, so they didn't do it again. But now, you're, you're just going to keep it as one bye. So I'm going to tell you why that first is stupid. You're going to have teams that are going to get really tired. They won't have a chance to rest as well. And they won't be well rested for the playoffs. When you have an early bye, it can hurt you. Some teams can do well after it. The 2009 Saints had an early bye. Um, however, I will also note, they had clinched the NFC, the home field advantage in the NFC, by week 17, so they could rest starters, and they had a bye week for the playoffs. They had a first-round bye. So they did have chances to rest afterwards. With the way the NFL is set up now, teams only have one bye. There's only one bye in each conference for the playoffs. That's, that's going to hurt teams a lot. You look at what the Steelers did last year. The Steelers never really got a bye week. It's why I don't necessarily blame them from having such a precipitous drop. And, I, and I'm not trying to give them any excuses. Like, you guys still completely blew it, and part of the way you got to 11-0 was through fluky wins. Cough, cough, the Cowboys game. But even then... is a bad move. You look at what the uh, Buccaneers did. The Buccaneers were one of two teams to have the latest bye week. That ended up really helping them get rested for the playoffs. They got in sync for the playoffs. So that's a problem. Um, I will say it's good. Like, uh, someone that I'm, like, that I follow pretty closely. Um, they're a Jaguars fan. They, they have a good reason to like it. Because since the Jaguars always play a game in London, this gives them a chance to have more home games. And it gives, uh, them a chance to play teams from the NFC because as an AFC team, play teams from the NFC more recently, because the Jaguars and Cowboys have not played in Jacksonville since, like, I think it was 2006, because the next time they were scheduled to play in Jacksonville, that game was in London. So I can see where some people like that, but... Also, I just don't like prime number. I don't like the prime number of games. It's just dumb to me. It's so dumb. And this season, they just pushed the Super Bowl back a week. 
So what you going to do uh, after this season? Are you going to push the week? Is week one going to be pushed back a week? Or is this going to be how it is where the Super Bowl is going to be another week? Okay, um, that's great and all. You, you're going to kill yourself either way when you do that, and here's why. Because if you push it a week back, you're pushing into college football's first week, and they've had there's been a lot of starts to try and get games in NFL stadiums, try and get marquee matchups on that first week when the NFL isn't playing. And I like those games a lot. So please don't get rid of them. Okay? Just just personally. But second of all, and that same person, really smart about it. Um, you know what can happen now? Super Bowl can fall on Valentine's Day. That's not a good thing. Here is why that's not a good thing. Because people that... was like, the Super Bowl numbers make it, uh, are partially because it's a casual event at a time when there's really nothing else going on. If it's on Valentine's Day, you might lose a lot of your casual audience because they're busy being on Valentine's Day. And people aren't gonna move that. And guess what? You know how close we are to that? This year, the Super Bowl is on the 13th of this upcoming season, February 13th is when the Super Bowl is. Alrighty? That's a major issue. And I think the NFL doesn't think of that. It's one of those two. There's so many weird things about it. But you know what? We'll probably get used to it. Honestly, the NFL wants an 18-game season. If they want an 18-game season, they're gonna put in two buys. Let's be honest. The NFLPA is not going to accept an 18-week se- an 18 game 19 week season they're going to be more okay with an 18 game 20 week season but since we have this might as well talk about the fact that the saints have a new game and it's the freaking titans of all things this is going to be a very interesting matchup because the last time the saints played the titans we didn't have to run into derrick henry he was out that game it was the only game he missed that season uh this was 2019 it was the only game he missed and he still managed to get the rushing title. Because Derrick Henry's kind of a beast. I, I think you may have noticed this, but Derrick Henry's kind of good at football. I know, Bold statements only on this podcast. So, I don't know how we're going to contain him. Genuinely. Because we had a good run defense last year, but Derrick Henry's kind of a beast as well. However, I will say the Titans secondary is... I'm looking for it, actually. The Titans don't really have a secondary. They're going to be targeting a cornerback in the draft. They will have to. Because they they signed Janoris Jenkins, which was almost like a, yeah, we're desperate signing. They had to release, like, three guys. I think they only had one other guy left uh, once all those big releases happened. So, yeah. <sighs> but here's another thing that I want to talk about with that. They shortened the preseason from four games to three. Now, for some people, they're like, Finally. The preseason is shorter. This is a good thing, because no one cares about the fourth preseason game. But you you don't understand. Uh, you don't care about the fourth preseason game. There are guys who very much care about the fourth preseason game. It's the last chance they get to show off their skills, and it can make or break their football careers. 
there are guys who I don't I can't name names obviously, but there have been guys who showed up in that fourth preseason game the Saints have kept on the roster that had they not had it may not have made the roster and they ended up being somewhat of a contributor. That kind of stuff is important. It's stuff that's intangible. But also, I think this is another important thing. Did you forget last year, NFL, what it looked like when you didn't have a preseason or training camp or workouts? Yeah, it was a mess. Oh my god, the scoring was bananas. It was bullshit because the defenses were terrible. Offenses were not in sync. Things were random, stupid, and dumb. It was bad football. Like, guys didn't have a chance to practice, and it showed. Now, yes, this year they will actually have off-season workouts. They'll have training camp, mini-camp, OTAs, etc., etc., and there will be a preseason. But, like, I just don't think this is a good idea. I feel like you're kind of destroying player development. And, like, that's a problem. Because, you know... (sighs) It's tough to put into words. It's just not not exactly helpful. I don't like it. But that's just how I think. So, there's one more thing we gotta talk about with the uh, NFL, don't we? It's Deshaun Watson. Because apparently he has to be the new thing. Luckily, it isn't the same ballooning we saw from the last time I had waited a week. Uh, It's only 21 now. Yeah, it's up to 21 from 18. So, not not as bad. You know, it could have ballooned by like... Oh, no, wait. It went from 16. I believe it was 16 to 21. So, like, still. Yeah, not, not great. Not great. Um, one of the allegations... One of the lawsuits uh, says that he's been unsending messages. Um, that he has contacted people through intermediaries. Uh, this, that, and the other thing. There's a lot to it. I don't want to get into the details of it. Uh, mainly because like, I'm getting annoyed by it. But, you know, that part, I don't. The next part, I do. Because it's, it's it's quite it's quite interesting. You see, in this oh god, this is gonna be a hassle to try and click. This will be fun. Um, I'm trying to click on an article, and there we go, got it. Um, so Busby, who is the name of the attorney for all of the uh, women bringing allegations, he has stated that he doesn't feel comfortable going to the Houston Police Department with any information. Now, for some of you, you might be suspicious of that. But he, he gave a pretty decent explanation as to why. Um, he posted this on Instagram, and this is a quote, My legal opponent, Mr. Harden, has a son who is on the, exec- who's on the exclusive command staff of HPD, Houston Police Department. 
I am not saying in any way that Deshaun Watson's lawyer, Mr. Harden, has a son who has a position that would compromise HPD in its investigation. I support his service, along with all Houston police officers. I think the rank and file know that. Yeah, basically, um, he's... What he just said there was like, I'm not saying that his son, uh, would do that. I'm not saying that my opponent would use his son to try and mess with the investigation. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying there's there's a chance it could happen and I'm not taking it. Which, I agree with that wholeheartedly. It's like, that's, that's something you should, uh, that's a problem. That's a major problem. That shouldn't be happening. Yeah. It's bad. But of course, Mr. Harden hasn't stopped. In fact, he's come out with a new defense by... Oh my god, what the hell did he decide to do? Well, you want to know? He decided to get 18 massage therapists to go on the record um, and say that Watson, you know, behaved gentlemanly, and he was a good person, and he didn't do any of these things. Number one, okay, that's, that's, that's possible. It's not impossible that Deshaun Watson has also been a not terrible person during a massage. That's very possible. I mean, it's also possible that he was doing both of these, that both of these things can be true at the same time, you know? Like, I, I don't understand how these are supposed to discredit the other things. Because they don't cancel each other out. Because, you know, you can choose how you behave around people. I, I believe we understand that, right? I think we're on the same page when you get that. So, um, how the hell is that supposed to work? Number one. Number two, that shit's probably not going to be admissible in court. Yeah, that those, those statements aren't going to matter. You're trying to court public opinion, which I understand wholeheartedly. He tried to get... He got that published in the Houston Chronicle, which is... Really? 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 Houston Chronicle, like, could y'all not do this? You're not helping. You're really not helping this. Um, but also, Jermon Bushrod, former NFL offensive lineman, and I believe New Orleans Saints Hall of Famer, uh, he was in the league for 12 years. Uh, he tweeted out a couple times, he's since deleted them, but, you know, everything on the internet stays about how that's kind of still suspicious. Because that is, if you add 21 to 18, you get 39. Round that up, you get 40. So, why do I say that? Because, um, yeah, Bushrod was like, 40? Uh, I played for 12 years and I had half of that. Keep in mind that these allegations go back to like 2018. I think the oldest ones are 2018. He's only been in the league for like three or four years now. And he's had 40. And Jermon Bushrod said he had like 20 and 12 years. And someone actually asked him, uh, is it typical for guys to keep with the same massage therapist over a period of time? And his response was like, yeah. I mean, I didn't have time to change that during game weeks. Which, you know, makes sense. Gotta be focused. Gotta be... 100% ready for that game. It's important. But, you know, and I'm not going to say that, like, it's wrong for him to have had 40. Like, I, I don't know anything about that. I can't say I do. I don't 
I can't read minds and he's also not right in front of me and I believe mind reading powers tend to be you gotta be like close to someone I'm pretty sure like that's how it works in every movie I've ever heard of this thing being in so yeah this just why the hell do I have to deal with this crap why the hell do we have to deal with this crap why the heck do we have to have this happen why is it that this happens bro this is just so messed up and everything I'm not saying we should bury this and in fact, quite the opposite. We should be covering this better. It's just a mess. And we'll see what happens. Man. So LSU baseball. God, do I have to talk about this. Alrighty. So LSU baseball actually played last night. God, this is her- this is horrible. We're 1-6 in, in the SEC for the first time since 1969. We didn't get a win... Uh, we didn't get another win in the SEC until we uh, had played two more games. I'm trying to say that in a normal way. It's kind of difficult. Yeah. So, let's talk about that. And I'm going to do this really quickly because i got to talk about March Madness. LSU baseball. They got swept by Tennessee. Game one, three to one, loss. Game two, nine to eight in 11 innings. The game got called in the bottom, in the top of the ninth, excuse me. LSU was leading eight to seven. They got double play ball that got him out in the top of the ninth then the bottom of the ninth they gave up a run and then in the bottom of the 11th they gave up the game winning run lost nine to eight in game three they lost three to two that game was played uh it was supposed to be a seven inning game it went into extra innings and lsu lost again this time three to two so lsu had 26 hits throughout the entire series, and they got 11 runs. That's not exactly great. The bullpen hasn't been doing great. Pitching needs to step it up. Then the midweek game happened. South Alabama won 11-1. I'm sorry, not South Alabama won 11-1. I'm an idiot. I was thinking of the Vanderbilt game last night. I'll get to that. Uh, Yeah, LSU decided to finally get out of that hitting slump of not scoring runs and scored 11 of them and won 11-1. No, I was thinking of last night's game because LSU played Vanderbilt on Thursday night and lost 13-1. I'm just... What? I know Vanderbilt's the number one team in the country, but 13 runs ain't it, Chief. Really? A reminder, I thought we were going to be good this year. I thought we were going to be decent, competitive. At the very least, I mean, I didn't think we'd win the SEC. I thought we'd be something. Maybe running it through the gauntlet was going to be difficult, but I didn't expect us to get beat 13-1. to Jeez, um, what is this pitching staff? We're going to probably fall to 1-8. and eight, And it doesn't get easier. This team this year looks actually terrible. And at one point during the uh, Tennessee series, like, there's a camera shot of Paul Maneri, and he just looked so defeated. He looked like he had lost every bit of confidence. That's not a great sign. So, yeah. Now let's get to some March Madness. My sweet 16 predictions. But first, the D2 National Championship. I watched it. Uh, So, Northwest Missouri State, the current dynasty in Division II men's basketball. They've now won three out of the last four national titles, and they won this one over West Texas A&M 80-54. It was never a close game. That's all I have to say about that. My sweet 16, though. 
I went 50-50. So, the first game, and I didn't get to watch all of these. I didn't get to watch Baylor versus Villanova. I didn't watch USC and Oregon. I didn't really watch the Florida State-Michigan game. Um, but let's begin with the Loyola versus the Loyola Chicago versus Oregon State game. What the hell happened in that game? First of all, did the offenses decide to go to sleep? Because apparently they did. Yeah, it was really bad. Um, Oregon State just played better. They just played better. I'm legitimately trying to remember this game. It was it was so forgettable. It was really forgettable for me. Baylor versus Villanova. I had Baylor winning it. Yeah, they won. Pretty good team. I had Arkansas beating Oral Roberts. I was right about that, but Oral Roberts had like a 16-point lead. Arkansas just was down double digits three times and then came back. Why do you why did you keep doing that to yourselves? That's not a good idea. Just be leading and don't lose it. Syracuse over Houston. I thought that Syracuse might have done it. No, Houston's pretty good. Not 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 Houston just played very well and beat them pretty well. And then I had Bama over UCLA. Okay, so let me ask you one question, Alabama. Did you forget how to shoot free throws? 11 of 25 from the charity stripe? That's the worst performance from the charity stripe in a Sweet 16 game since 2003, when I believe it was Kansas went 12 of 30. Which, you know, 11 of 25 is a little bit better than that. But, jeez, no. Now, that game should never have gone into overtime. I wasn't necessarily watching at the end of that game because I may or may not have had a psychology exam that I needed to do. But, Bama, they're down three. What do they need to hit a three? Now, if you're UCLA, what are you thinking? Foul, right? You would think foul. Apparently, UCLA's coach was like, no, we don't want to send them to the free throw line because if they miss the free throw, they might be able to get out a corner three which is much easier than a baseball pass with, uh, what was it? I think it was six seconds left. Like, that's pretty difficult. And if they make the first free throw and then miss the second one, they only need a two to tie it and a three to win it. So I can understand that. The thing was, Bama couldn't hit a free throw to save their lives. But they could shoot pretty decently from three. In fact, I trusted them more. I would have trusted them more with a three-point shot than with the free throw. Then again, they miss the free throw, they shoot a three, so it, it, it was interesting. But yeah, Bama makes it, and then they go to overtime, and then, well, okay, that was not close. Yeah, yeah the game went from being a close, tight-knit game to UCLA running away with it and winning by 10. What the hell happened? This is a genuine question, as I did not watch overtime. <laughs> then, you have Gonzaga versus Creighton. I had Gonzaga winning it. I thought it might have been a little close. It, nah, I was wrong about that. Turns out Gonzaga still wants to kill everyone. Yeah, they're on a hell-bent uh, run right now where they will take no prisoners. They will crush all of their enemies. And if you are standing in their way, that's your fault. So Yeah, that was fun. I picked Florida State to beat Michigan. I have no idea why I did that. I genuinely have no idea why I did that. Just happened. But yeah, Michigan won it. Boy, oh boy, how great. Then I had USC over Oregon. Frankly, I literally had someone, like, 
flip like I flipped a coin on stream to figure out because I could not tell what I was gonna say if it was gonna be like USC or Oregon USC ended up winning the game oh well it's time for the elite eight because I made predictions after the sweet 16 having forgotten that I wouldn't be doing that on stream so guess what I went 50 50 again I'm beginning to think I might be going 50 50 the rest of the way aren't I um which would be impossible in the final fours there are only three games I had Houston over Oregon State because, well, yeah, that was kind of a gimme, wasn't it? Houston just played a really good basketball game. Oregon State was overmatched. I had Arkansas over Baylor, having completely forgotten what Baylor was this entire year. And if you think I'm joking with you, I'm not. I'm legitimately serious. Like, after watching that game, I was like, Oh, yeah, Baylor's really good. I forgot. Because they went in and they did things. To Arkansas. Whoo. Yeah. It was not pretty. I had Gonzaga over USC. Gonzaga took USC and crushed them. Holy cow. Like, they beat them as if USC had done something to their family. Again, Gonzaga this year does not look like a team that can be beat. They look like a team that's just been... It's like all this pent-up rage they've had over the past 20 years, and they're unleashing it on the entire country. Which is going to be really interesting in the Final Four. Because I had Michigan over UCLA. What happened in that game? Now, I didn't watch all of the Texas versus Abilene Christian game. That was probably the most ugly game of the entire tournament. This was the most ugly game I watched. 51-49. to what the hell happened? I'll tell you what happened. Michigan couldn't hit a shot to save their lives in the last five minutes. It was like 5.43 in the game, and they couldn't hit one shot. What happened? And UCLA wasn't playing much better either. The only guy that came there to play was Johnny Yuzang. He had 28 of UCLA's 51 points. Which is... Yeah, that's insane. That three-pointer that just got airballed was sad. It was like, what? How? They were getting good looks, too, from beyond the arc. Just couldn't hit him. I don't even understand how you kept doing that. And then the layup attempt afterward was like, really? Whatever. Yeah, Michigan just looked so bad during that entire game. But UCLA didn't look much better. They were just a little bit better, and Johnny Yuzang actually wanted to win that game. So, uh, yeah. Now we got the Final Four. And so, what do I think the Final Four is going to look like? Gonzaga over UCLA, Baylor over Houston. It turns out that this whole year was actually supposed to be just Gonzaga versus Baylor in the national championship, and we were just all forgetting. Uh, yeah, we just, we kind of all collectively forgot about that. Okay, fine. I collectively forgot about that. Because Gonzaga versus UCLA is going to be a really good game if you're a Gonzaga fan, because it's going to be 15 years of torment that you're going to finally be able to get rid of, unless you manage to choke it like you did 15 years ago. Please don't do that. Please do not do what you did against UCLA last time, because you should have won the tournament that year, but you didn't. Whatever. No, it's fine. It's totally fine. It's not... Not, it's not like anything else happened that year that involved UCLA that I hate. They beat LSU in the Final Four. Yeah. And then Baylor over Houston. Look, these two teams have been phenomenal all season. I think Gonzaga's going to win it, but I think Baylor's going to put up a tough fight in the Final. 
I am really excited for these games tomorrow, though. Well, I mean, Gonzaga versus UCLA is going to be a really bloody mess. Like, just... Because UCLA is not good. They have not been playing exactly great basketball. They've just been playing good enough to win. Like, they beat Michigan State, but they had to do it in overtime because Michigan State kind of gave it away. BYU just was... I don't know what the hell happened there. BYU could not do anything for them. Um, trying to remember... Oh, yeah, they got to play Abilene Christian in the next round. So, you know, they kind of had a cakewalk to the Sweet 16 in the round of 32. I genuinely don't know what to say. I don't get how they got here. This is not supposed to have happened. But they did. And it's incredible. It's just too bad you have to face Gonzaga, who is going to rip your heart out from your chest while it is still beating. Yep. Oh, yeah, there were a couple of news stories, by the way, from the world of college basketball. Number one, Roy Williams retired yesterday. Yeah, it wasn't an April Fool's joke. He just retired after, uh, like, 33 years, I believe. He's going to be handpicking the successor to him at UNC. Also, Texas. So they let Shaka Smart go to Marquette. And they were looking for a head coach, and they wanted Chris Beard because he was—he's the head coach at uh, Texas Tech. He turned them into a winning program. Chris Beard happens to be an alumna. I, I'm sorry, an alum. I'm trying to get this right because I learned this. An alumnus, excuse me. Damn you, Latin. Uh, an alumnus of the University of Texas. It basically would have been his dream job, and then he got it. Now here's what's interesting. Texas Tech was paying this man. $5 million a year. Steve Sarkeesian, their new football coach at Texas, to be specific, is making $5.2 million a year. I almost guarantee that the basketball coach at Texas is about to make more money than the football coach at Texas. Which is kind of crazy if you think about it. But, yeah. I This is just... It's a snaky move. Just because, like... Yeah, a lot of people at Texas Tech are going to be angry, but, I mean, I can see it from his perspective. Your dream job only comes about once in a lifetime, maybe not even. And when you're given that shot, sometimes you got to take it. So I totally understand if that's what he wanted to do. Most people don't get to live out their fantasies. He was given a chance to do it. But, um, yeah, I'm ready to see that Texas Tech-Texas game next year, because it's going to be fucking nice. I believe they, yeah, they play each other twice a year. When he goes back to Lubbock, oh baby, that's going to be a good game. Oh, that's going to be a very good game. Oh, ah, man. I cannot wait for that. Now, we are 46 minutes into this thing here. Let's think about this. What am I going to do? Because it's 12.15 my time and I've got some work to do. Here's what I'm going to say. I'm just going to talk about some NCAA stuff, and then I'm going to end it right here. I was going to do Mock the Mock Draft, but I feel like that should be an exclusive segment for the live episodes. That way you'll tune into them or watch them on YouTube. So yeah, let's talk about the NCAA. First of all, a little bit about name, image, and likeness, and why people are wrong if they think it's only going to impact football and basketball players. You see, they may have a lot of followers. The most followed collegiate athlete on Instagram is a basketball player. I believe it's Sharif Cooper. 
I'm sorry, Sharif O'Neal. What the hell am I thinking? It's one, or is it Shaq, one of Shaq's sons? I don't know who it is, but it's a basketball player. Um, but number two is not a basketball player. No, not a football player. No, not a revenue sport, not a sport most schools even have. A female athlete, in fact, one that goes to my university, LSU gymnast Livy Dunn, who has over a million Instagram followers. Now, to put into perspective how much money that would be, a lot. I don't know how much, but it's a lot. Considering that someone did an analysis of like Instagram followers for the uh, when the Elite Eight got set for both men's and women's, they looked at the earnings potential based on Instagram followers of every single player in uh, for both tournaments. I am really fumbling over this. It's a quite simple concept. I'm just not articulating it very well. Um, so every single women's Elite Eight participant, every single men's Elite Eight participant, they looked at each athlete and their Instagram followers, and then, I don't know who did this, uh, then they, like, did some calculation stuff, and I actually might still have that in my thing. Um, do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-
and a guy from Illinois. Something like that. Either way. Um, yeah. Met with them. I don't know what the hell that was supposed to do. Because the NCAA has had to have another meeting. And what is that meeting? It's a meeting with the Supreme Court of the United States of America. Yes, they decided to go to court. And by decided to, well, yes, they did decide. They appealed. You have to choose to make an appeal. And oh boy, did they get peeled apart. <laughs> get it? Yeah. Um, because the SCOTUS judges did not necessarily like their arguments. Or at least all of their arguments. Now, it sounded a lot like, from the things I was reading on Twitter, that like, who boy, the NCAA is getting their asses handed to them and they will lose this hard. Oh look, Jalen Hurts got the number one in Philadelphia. That is incredible. <laughs> and apparently the Texans might sign Alex Smith if Deshaun Watson doesn't play. If slash when. Anyway, let's get back to the NCAA, because frankly, I'm almost at an hour, so I'm just going to talk about the SCOTUS thing, and then we're going to end this baby, because uh, I don't want to go over an hour. Yep. So basically, uh, some stuff happened. Now, this if you don't know what's going on, let me just... Yeah, I knew you were going to fall down there real quick. Apologies for the way this is going. I have to open an article. So, what's happening is that there is a court case that the NCAA has appealed. It is known as NCAA v. Alston. Who is Alston? Alston is a former running back at West Virginia University. Um, he wants... I'm trying to remember the exact thing. Basically, um, it was, I think, 2014. Uh, the case is about how, like universities can compensate players what the NCAA is appealing is a district court ruling that stated that uh the NCAA cannot place limits on member schools on uh any benefits that are tied to education and the NCAA is appealing this because what they say and by the way this is not a stupid argument um what they're saying is that okay the term tied to education is so damn loose they can basically pay their players how much ever however much they want to there's no way to regulate it and it basically becomes professional sports now i totally agree with that actually and i i don't know if i've made my point clear on this i don't want schools paying players i genuinely do not want that i hate the idea of that happening my lips are smacking so much and i apologize for that but that is something I unfortunately have not been able to figure out a solution for unless I drink copious amounts of water. Yeah, and yeah, like I said, totally agree. Schools shouldn't be paying players because, oh my god, as if you thought corruption was bad enough already. No, let's just have schools directly pay the players. And I'm not even saying, like, it's bad because amateurism good. Like, eh. But I also do believe there is a place for amateurism in, like, sports. I believe that there is a place for there to be an amateur model. But NCAA, you ain't got it. You're kind of garbage on there. So what the justices did was they kind of started ripping into the NCAA. I, you know, have three screenshots from Twitter because reasons. People were tweeting out about this. It was fun. Amy Coney Barrett called them out on the idea of the NCAA has defined pay. 
Uh, why do you get to define what pay is? The NCAA's answer? Essentially. Essentially. They made the game, so they get to decide how it's played. What? That's not how any of this works. Here's another one. Clarence Thomas, yeah, the conservative justices, by the way, were calling the NCAA out on their bullshit. The conservative justices were calling them out. They thought they could get the support from them, and they probably will. And I'll explain why. Um, Thomas, uh, Clarence Thomas, asked whether there is an effort to limit compensation for coaches, similar to the effort to limit compensation on athletes in the name of amateurism. Well, in 2001, Steve Spurrier led the sport of college football with a $2.1 million per year salary. Twenty years later, USA Today notes that there is a minimum of 65 head coaches who make that compensation or more. So the answer to your question, Justice Thomas, is no. No, they have not made any effort to do so. Another one. And this is the third one that I decided to screenshot. Um, Gorsuch had a follow-up question at one point. You worry about student-athletes getting $6,000 a year when TV contracts are in the billions. Six grand a year is not a lot given injuries and inability to major in what they want. You talk about 6000 like it's an exorbitant amount. It's not. Because there, were, I don't remember which justice made the point, but they pointed out, and it's quite good to point this out, by the way, that athletes can't major in whatever they want. Or at least they're pushed not to. They're pushed towards easier majors with lower course loads. Um, which, by the way, you wonder why they're talking about this. It's because the NCAA is so high-minded about academics. Uh, Elena Kagan called them out on it. Because, you know, it's some bullshit. Um. Yeah. Hold on one second, yada yada yada. Um, yeah, this is another thing uh, Kagan had mentioned about like how the idea of amateurism isn't always like great. I'm just gonna read directly from this ESPN article. It does a better job than I can. Um, Seriously, it's a well-written article. Um, Justice Elena Kagan asked why the court shouldn't see the NCAA as an organization that has, an un that has undisputed power over its market and uses the idea of amateurism to fix the price of labor. Kagan said that while amateurism may have been created more than a century ago to protect an institution that provides social value, that doesn't mean that it is its function today. Quote, you can only ride on the history for so long. A great deal has changed since 100 years ago in the way student-athletes are treated. A great deal has changed since 1985, let alone 100 years ago. I guess it doesn't move me all that much that there is a history to this." Unquote. However, here is the thing, and the reason why I think they're going to motion that they're going to overturn the district court ruling. It's that they mentioned the slippery slope argument, which is quite damn reasonable. It's very reasonable, because if you get this here, who's to say that you can't take this all the way to make the NCAA professional? In my opinion, there is still a place out there for amateur college athletics. I just think that the way, and I think we can all like probably agree, there being a monopoly over an entire pipeline and forcing people into amateurism is not the way that this should go. There should be an option. 
But that option doesn't exist. And by the way, it should be noted that you can't always prioritize education and also wanting to do this. Look at the entire Big Ten. We're not talking about small institutions here. We're talking about some of the more elite academic institutions in this country. You look at the Pac-12. It's got schools like Stanford in it. It's got USC. It's got UCLA. Those are major... It's got Arizona State. These are major research institutions that also happen to play at the highest, highest, highest of high levels in the NCAA. They happen to make boatloads of money. Look at the Big East, which you don't always think about because they don't have football, but basketball is a thing. And Georgetown happens to be in that. And they're an elite academic institution. So, yeah, what do you do? How do you make this work where there's still an amateur model, where, the, and where there is something like an NCAA, that still controls amateur, but also allows for athletes to get paid. Now, in my opinion, it's called name, image, and likeness, because if you let the market dictate that stuff, it's a little bit better. Um, but then again, I still agree with the concept of like, yeah, but for some athletes, like they really do need it and they may not get it from the market because like they're a long snapper and long snappers don't always get the recognition they deserve. Which is unfortunate, in my opinion. Because, like, you've got yourself a good long snapper. I mean, hell, LSU had, like, two good ones for eight straight years. Amazing guys. One of which was drafted last, uh, in the last draft. Got drafted in, like, the fifth round. But, like, they're not going to make the same amount of money as a starting quarterback. That's just how the market's going to work. And... You got that, and then there's this other thing that a, athletics directors are worried about if the college, the student athletes' bill of rights passes, that that would cause Title IX to get thrown out of whack. But that's something that I've had to cut because it is 12:30 my time, and I want to get this thing over with because I've been talking for over an hour now. So that's gonna do it for this episode of Gold to Go, episode 19. If you want to find me on Twitter, you can find me at capital B E N capital S, capital L, capital A, capital S, P-O-R-T-S. Find me on Twitch every uh, Thursday night at 7 o'clock Central. That's 8 o'clock Eastern, 7 o'clock Central for those of you in the correct time zone. Haha. Yes, at twitch.tv slash T-E-P-I-G-L-O-V-E-R-1. That's twitch.tv slash T-E-P-I-G-L-O-V-E-R-1. You can find a link to the most recent uh, Gold to Go Live, the archive from it on YouTube. That's in the description of this. So, that's going to do it for me. I've been Ben Schluter. Hope you have a good week, and until next time, bye-bye.